Welcome to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, your host. And today's podcast is being aired in memory of a dear Cedarville University colleague, Dr. Michael Furman, who at the age of 59 unexpectedly passed away on October 27th, just 12 days after this podcast was recorded. The hope of the podcast team in airing this program is that God is glorified as we listen to Dr. Furman share with me about his life and ministry. We also hope this podcast can be a way of honoring Dr. Furman and his family and can be a part of the healing process as we continue to grieve his passing. Thanks for listening to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast with my friend and colleague, Dr. Michael Furman. Welcome back to today's Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, and joining me today on the program is Dr. Michael Furman, the Distinguished Professor of Psychology at Cedarville University. Dr. Furman has served as a full-time psychology faculty member since 1998, and he currently serves as the editor for the Journal of Ethnographic and Qualitative Research, and he has published more than 120 articles in peer-reviewed journals, presented more than 170 papers in national juried research conferences, and serves as a forensic psychologist while serving as a preaching pastor at Berea Bible Church in Springfield, Ohio. Welcome to the program, Mike. It's great to have you on the program. Thanks. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. We're doing this uh, via Zoom. It's uh, uh, mid-October, and uh, uh, it's uh, the colors are starting to change on our leaves, and it's really a pretty time in Ohio. Uh, I want to start the podcast actually in a little different way than even Dr. Furman is thinking. You know, he's a very serious guy, and uh, and we'll, you'll you'll get to learn that throughout the podcast. But I'm really going to throw him a curveball and say, how do you have fun in life? Um. I enjoy people. I'm not really a social butterfly. I don't go from one social event to another social event, another social event, but I enjoy right. relationships. So yeah. taking my life and sharing with another person and having them share their life with me, that's really meaningful. Um, yeah. I enjoy chess. Years ago, I was a, a tournament chess player. I had a rating. My mom has some trophies at home and things, but yeah. I, haven't, I haven't played serious chess in years. Uh, I enjoy Netflix. Cool. Well, uh, as I mentioned, um, you are a, a serious person, and, and that's what I have come to appreciate about you. And I really appreciate how you have encouraged me in my role here at Cedarville and and, uh, and our colleagues. Um, but as a professor, you bring impeccable credentials to the classroom. You have two doctoral degrees, one from a seminary and one from Syracuse University. I'm interested in knowing from your perspective, why is it important for you to have a strong seminary education? Sure. Um, I decided I wanted to be a college professor back when I was a student, and I desired to provide the best education that I could for students. As a student myself, I wanted the best education, and when it was my turn to be on the other side of the desk, I wanted to give that that same highest level of quality of education that I could. So I did, my, my bachelor's, my master's, my, my first PhD was all from seminary. I wanted the same level of education that my own Bible professors had. Um, I graduated back in the uh, early 80s from college. And at that time, too many Christian psychologists were really teaching secular psychology. Then they would salt shaker, if you were Bible verses into that. I didn't wanna do that. I really wanted to know the Greek, Hebrew, exegesis, church history, systematic theology, advanced Bible knowledge, 
so that I would thoroughly know my Bible, that I could teach psychology biblically from the inside out and not just put Bible verses at the end of some kind of secular psychology. And, and so really more than, I wanted more than a, I'll call it a study school education of a Bible. In addition, since I was saved in high school, um, I read the Bible every year. So for over 40 years, I read through the Bible to keep my knowledge helps. Yeah. Uh, back to my initial question, you know, I talked about why it's important for you to get a seminary education. Let me flip that question uh, upside down. Why was it important for you to earn a doctorate from Syracuse? Okay. Accrediting agencies require the professors possess an earned doctorate in the faculty members' uh, particular field of study. Uh, for 15 years, I was part of the HLC, which is the uh, Higher Learning Commission of the North Central Association. So I chaired teams where we went out and we did visits for the purpose right. of, of evaluating different universities. And um, I knew I needed to have utmost credentials, not just from seminary, but also in my psychology field. So that's because I became a licensed psychologist, which is the highest level of expertise for teaching psychology at, you know, at the college level. So my overall, my career path was longer than most, but I would say I don't regret a minute of it. I think yeah. it was worth it on all levels. Yeah. Now, when you mentioned uh, HLC, that brings me back to my pre-Cedarville days. I was, so back in like 2008, 2009, I was working at a Christian college in northern Indiana, and you were on the site visit then. And Yes, I, that's right. <laughs> and that's I, right. I, I know when we, when we saw the list of who was coming, we were pretty, uh, we were pretty hopeful and excited, actually, uh, that uh, a, a believer from a fellow school was coming. And, but you were very thorough, and uh, you didn't let uh, uh, anything get in the way of being thorough. So I appreciated that. That's, that's interesting, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm interested in hearing, uh, you mentioned earlier that you, you were called to be, a, you wanted to be a teacher. You, you were called to be a teacher. What, what brought you to Cedarville? What was the calling like for you to come, uh, to come teach at Cedarville University? Okay. I spent 10 of the best years of my life at Clark Summit University in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, where I, I had served as the graduate studies director there. And um, unfortunately, I had so much responsibility that it just was not feasible to keep up with what I was doing there. Um, when I when I left, I left on the best of terms. But when I left, they hired three full time faculty to re to replace me. They they hired a full time dean, they hired a full time undergraduate, and they hired a full time graduate faculty, literally to do what I was doing when I when I left. Hmm. So, and I came here at the time, Cedarville was a GRBC school, mm -hmm. and I, I liked the creationism, the dispensational theology, it was pre-trib, pre-mill, conservative, it was selective, those were all drawing factors to me. But my aim was to know and to use the Bible at the deepest levels as I teach psychology. Cedarville values that, and that, that was my, my draw. So as I'm as I'm listening to you speak and as I'm watching you on on Zoom camera, you know I look at an office that's very very neat, and and then you know I know that prototypical faculty members sometimes books are all over the place. So I'm <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying this because what what uh, is it in you that allows you to get so much done in a short period of time? Hmm. Um. Well, I I pause at the question because. I intend it in all modesty, but the Lord has given me a good mind. Um, mm -hmm. Just as far as like IQ, jury scores, SAT, whatever, however you want to measure that, 
And so I'm able to get maybe more done in a shorter period of time. Uh, and again, I don't say that in a, a, a boasting or intended way no. at all, but I just, I've, I've always been able to do that. You, you also look like you're a very organized individual. Oh, Is that's, that true? That's true. Um, I do have a mind that um, if you were to ask me 10 years ago, what would I be doing today? I would have said I would have been a vice president or maybe a president of a college. That was my ultimate vocational goal because mm -hmm. I do have those organizational leadership mm -hmm. kind of skill sets. Um, but I, I didn't, didn't go that way. Okay, so you stayed as a college professor. So what is, what's, what's your goals, what's your mission as a college professor? Okay. Um, what got me into this is I wanted to have the, the biggest impact on people's lives for the gospel. That was my, my driving mission. Um, I thought seriously about careers um, maybe as a pastor or considered missionary. Um, but I, and I was also looking at college teaching. I was kind of trying to decide between those, those three things earlier. Um, if you, I, I tell people, if you cut me open, I really don't bleed psychology. I bleed ministry. That's who mm. I am in my, my heart of hearts. Mm -hmm. And I hope to impact students' lives. And my kind of mission is to impact their lives as they impact others so that my ministry becomes more multiplied than it is added. And some kind of this, this mission has been to invest my life in the lives of students so that they achieve their potentials. And eventually, I want them to go beyond me. I have people whose lives that I've touched and impacted that are doing things that are utterly and totally phenomenal. And it's, it's, it's fulfilling to me that I had a role in that. I, had a, I, I wasn't the, the only role, but I had a part in helping them get there. And so I hope to impact the scores of lives of people who I'll never meet. Let me put you on the spot a little bit. Do, mm -hmm. do you recall of a Cedarville student who you've had an influence on who is doing amazingly th amazing things? Uh, oh, sure. Multiple. I mean, just when it comes to my head, uh, uh, Alex Bujan is teaching statistics at Baylor University. Uh, top of his game has the Baylor Psychometric Lab, and he, he has done far more in statistics and in research than what I ever could hope to accomplish. And yet, when I first met Alex, I was able to help him get direction, find traction, take the right steps to get in a doctor program. And then I published with him. He and I mm -hmm. internationally published together. And so that, that kind of thing's exciting. Yeah. And you publish a lot with uh, your students, don't you? I do. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if, if I could maybe share one, one story, uh, I know stories take time on too many of these, but yeah. I had a, I had a uh, student one time write my professor, one of my professors from Calvary University, and, and the letter went something like this. Dear Dr. Logan, you don't know me and you'll never know me, but I want to thank you for having the impact on Dr. Furman and helping him prepare for being a psychology professor. Mm. He has helped shape my life and changed my life in a lot of ways. I still have a ways to go, but I've really turned some major corners. And she said, uh, this semester, I led two people to the Lord. And one of those people led two people to the Lord. Mm. So I'm having this Bible study right now with people who will never meet you on planet Earth. I just want you to know, Dr. Logan, there will be people when you get to heaven, they're going to walk up and say, excuse me, are you Dr. Logan? Yes. Hmm. I just want to say thank you for spending time with Dr. Furman because I'm, humanly hmm. speaking, I'm here because of how you put time into his life and he put time 
into this and, and and that's what motivates me that's what makes me throw the covers off every day look forward to cedarville and to say this is where i want to come yeah there's there's no better story than that when you have uh, earthly impact that leads to a, a kingdom impact um thanks for sharing that that story mike uh, you mentioned uh, earlier about um the kind of professor you want to be. You didn't want to be just a professor who uh, sprinkled uh, like salt and pepper uh, Bible verses. Uh, you wanted to intentionally mm-hmm. weave your academic discipline through the biblical worldview. How do you do that here at Cedarville? Uh, we use a phrase called biblical integration, and that, that's a fine phrase to use in the most uh, generic sense. More particularly, my essential role as a psychology professor here is more for evaluation. And, and I do that on six levels. There are times that we take our Bibles. I tell students, get your Bibles out, and we literally go through verse by verse, and we will execute a text because that particular portion of Scripture uh, has significant impact for psychology. Number two, the Bible actively teaches that the psychology concept is true. So part of my role is to say, here is a theory in psychology. Here's a principle in psychology, and here's where the Bible supports that. Number three, sometimes the Bible actively teaches that a concept is false. false. Number four, sometimes the Bible is silent regarding Mm -hmm. what a concept Mm -hmm. proposes. So I have to help them understand the Bible, like intelligence. The Bible does not actively teach what IQ is. Right. Number five, part of what a concept proposes is biblical, and part of it is unbiblical. You know, things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, part of that really is biblical, but it's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added. So I have to help them parse that out. And number six, part of what the concept proposes is biblical, and the Bible is silent regarding part of the concept. So all of this, what I'm trying to communicate is that I want students to think biblically. Um, think philosophically, okay, think uh, theoretically, think concept, but I want them to think biblically. When they are, encounter some sort of, of, a, of a theory, I want them to think through it biblically. That's cool. Now, uh, if uh, I'm just, you know, or your listeners know, I'm a biblical counselor. That's what I've always been. That's how I identify myself. It's how I've always identified myself. I do have a forensic psychology practice that evaluates people, but I don't do counseling in that. Um, I do not do therapy. I've never done psychotherapy in private practice. Uh, I don't accept health insurance for private practice and counseling because I want, I really don't want anything strings attached. If I'm going to counsel somebody, I want to use the Bible and rightly share biblical truths. So, so when I, when I, I counsel people, it's, you know, as pastor of Bria Bible Church, and I do so through biblical counseling. Uh, I know everybody has to find their way. Um, and this is how I found my way using counseling as ministry. And I, I try to communicate that to students, at least from my perspective. You know, with your, with your seminary training, did you ever think of be, being a Bible professor, maybe even here at Cedarville? I did. My first application was literally to teach Bible. That was my, my educational background. But Clarkson University had, had a, the psychology professor was leaving, and they really had a hard time Finding people, they they found they could find psychologists, and they could find seminary professors. But to find somebody who could do both the Bible and and psychology um, is very rare. And so I ended up coming in that route. But originally, that was my my plan was to was to teach Bible. So God directed you toward toward that direction. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, what does it mean to you to be excellent in all that you do? whether that's in the classroom or being a forensic uh, psychologist, just being a husband and a dad, H- how does that fit you? That's an excellent question. My desire for excellence uh, drives more from 
uh, not so much what I've done in life. Like in other words, um, it's not the word excellence, but I want to be excellent heart and soul, true blue um, in all my domains. It's not a sense of pride, but it's just, it's just how I ought to be as, as a Christian. And uh, Mark, I, I'm a person that avoids competition. Um, if you put me, if you put me in a, in a competitive situation, I can be competitive, but I don't like that. You know, Second Corinthians ten twelve says, "We dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with those that commend themselves, because they comparing themselves among themselves and measuring themselves by themselves are not wise." So for for me, excellence is about me. It's about who God's made me and what my abilities are, and and in doing the best that I possibly can with what God is endowed with. So if there actually is competition in your life, it's really you're competing against yourself to mm-hmm. push yourself to be the best you can be, right? That's a good way, that's a good way to state um, it, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In talking with you prior to today's podcast, uh, I understand mm-hmm. you grew up in a blue-collar home that valued work. Um, can you share with us an example of where your upbringing influenced your commitment to doing everything? To, you, to borrow a phrase uh, known to Cedarville University, with quality stamped all over it? Sure. No, that uh, I grew up in a, a blue-collar home, and my parents valued hard work. So at age 14, I started working. I, my mom had to sign special forms because you couldn't really work till you're 16, but I got one of those. And, and so I worked 20 hours a week all through school. And then when I wasn't in school, like during breaks or summers, I worked 40 hours a week. So all through, since I was 14, all the way through that, and I just grew up, you work hard. And then when I went to college, I worked full time and went to college full time. And I did that all the way through my undergraduate, my seminary. And, and Mark, I'll say that was very challenging. I was an RA. I was director of the Hopeland Counseling Ministry. We had 50 students that were serving as volunteer counselors. I was editor of the school newspaper. I, was, I used to organize the Scripture Memory Club. did a weekly evangelism ministry. taught Sunday school. I was in a serious day relationship. So that was a, that's where I said the Lord's giving me that, the good mind, and I could study maybe less than other people would need to. But... That that was that was a major challenge, and I still came up with a four So that, the Lord is very gracious in that way. I mean, and I was going to say you probably still finished with a four And uh, I mean, that's that's commendable. Um, it's it's not my story. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I could I could study all day long and still not do as well as you would would do. But uh, that's just how I'm wired. But, but hard work is was ingrained in us. At least me, and my brother and sister. It was just what we were. If you want to have good character and live a biblical lifestyle, that's was was baked into those 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 concepts. Mm-hmm. Where are you originally from, Mike? Uh, uh, well, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, but raised in Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan. How, uh, let me go back to your Syracuse connection. Mm-hmm. How did you get to? Why did you go to Syracuse? Well, because when I was hired at Clark Summit University, and I had my seminary education, I had a psychology minor. But in order to to be a full time psychology professor, I needed an accredited degree. So I ended up. Uh, earning a third master's in clinical psych as well as my uh, PhD from Syracuse. Well, I didn't know that that you were from from Flint. You were a Michigander, and uh, so it's it's my honor to talk to a fellow Michigander. <laughs> That's right. So um, now he also serves as the teaching or the preaching pastor at Berea Bible Church. How long have you served in this role? Uh, for ten years now, and I was also uh, for three years pastor of Faith Fellowship Baptist Church in Danbury, Connecticut. I served as pastoral counselor at Heritage Baptist Church in Clarkson, Pennsylvania, and I've served uh, eight churches as interim pastor over the years. 
And what are some of the challenges that you see in the church um, just by preaching? Um, the church is becoming more secular-minded, I think, with social media. And um, I think the Bible standards have not changed for how we should live a biblical lifestyle. But the world keeps moving left. And so keeping us centered is, is always a challenge. Thanks for sharing. So I would assume that your teaching profession helps you in the pulpit on Sundays, or at least prepare for the, the sermon and then deliver it. So what's the benefit for having those two passions to teach and to preach? Okay, that's a, a great question. Um, and again, uh, for your listeners, uh, if you get if you if you knew me, I mean this modestly. I don't walk I don't walk around feeling like, yay, I have these great qualities. It's just I'm trying to be realistic that Lord's giving me ability to take information and to communicate that in a way that keeps people's interest and makes it interesting. And so that same skill set that I use, well, I use it in forensic settings. I, I, I take legal information and I help educate the court in a way that makes sense and logical. And I, I take psychology information and I present that in a way that keeps students' attention and makes it interesting. Well, the same way on Sunday mornings, I take Bible, the Bible text, and, and I make that in a way that, that Lord willing is interesting and it keeps people's attention. If people look at their watch, shame on me. The time should fly by. And, and I... I now, I do pray for the power of the Holy Spirit every single week with every single message because my role is to make this the most interesting message that it can possibly be. Then the Holy Spirit's role is to change lives and hearts. Do you feel, uh, because you, you're a forensic psychologist, you're a faculty mm -hmm. professor, you're a Bible preacher, do you feel it's essential, given that you have a earn? bachelor's and master's, actually a doctoral degree from seminary, that you preach on a regular basis? Really, it's a sense of, of duty, if I could say that word, of being a good steward of, of God's talents and skills. Mm. You know, having that level of, of education. For two years, I taught Greek at Clark Summit University. You so know, this past week, I, I preached on Matthew 25, 14 to 30. It's the parable of the talents. And Jesus gave some five, some two, some one. And he said in Luke 12, 28, to whom, much is, to whom much is given, much is required. And I guess I feel like I need to be a good steward of what he's entrusted with me. Yeah. So as, a, as the, the preaching pastor at Berea Bible, how have you dealt with COVID? Oh, yes. Oh, we bought a, early on, we bought a tent. And we, we, had to spend, we had to spend a lot of money for it because supply and demand, the prices went way up. But um, it was one of the best investments. Other than two Sundays, all of our services have been outdoors. And we're running about 80% um, attendance compared to a lot of churches that are about 30% or so. And so we we have this beautiful setup outdoors. It's wonderful. Is it going to be heated because we're getting into colder weather? Oh, I know. We're going to have to go indoors. That's that that's coming soon. We're in here in Ohio. Too. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, uh, you were thinking ahead, though. That's pretty good. That uh, mm -hmm. I, I like the idea. I've seen some people, some churches go outdoors, and uh, I even attended one outdoor service. It's really, uh, it's um, good. It um, keeps people from being distant or close to each mm -hmm. other, and uh, it's a great... Yeah. Uh, we bring lawn chairs, sit down, and just have a service. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, we have about uh, maybe eight or 10 more minutes left in the uh, program, mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted to move uh, toward a little different area, and that's toward the area of forensic uh, psychology. 
What have you learned as a forensic psychologist that has helped you in the classroom? Um, just for maybe for context, so people understand, uh, forensic psychology is uh, taking the science of, of psychology and applying it to legal proceedings. So I testify in court as an expert, and I'll do things like child custody evaluations, social security disability, parenting evaluations, sex offender evaluations, and so on. And I've made this, this, maintained this uh, private practice for the years. Um, at one point, I've had offices in 15 different Ohio cities, and I've, I've had uh, 23 different students um, that I've hired are psychology majors. And I almost every semester, I'll have at least one or two interns that um, will apprentice with me. They learn the clinical side. They learn what a private practice is like. I show them all of my business records. And so as I noted earlier, um, I don't counsel in my private practice. I just do this forensic psychology work. I do biblical counseling in my church ministry. So having kind of defined that, um, I think that college professors should not teach from what they used to do years ago. I know I've, I had professors that would say, well, 10 years ago or 15 years ago when I was practicing this and that, whatever. I think it's better that faculty remain current in their fields and, and be up to date in their current skills. I think students perceive me as more uh, credible in the classroom when I share week to week examples of what I'm teaching. So I literally, like I'm teaching a course in psychological testing and I, I have current, fresh examples of what I'm doing that I bring to the, the classroom. Of course, you know, being ethical and never delosing, uh, divulging any kind of confidential information. But as an active, uh, having an active practice helps ensure that what I'm teaching is, uh, it's real to their professional life now and not what it used to be years ago. And what's, what is, when they leave Cedarville and do their own practices, what is that going to look like? So most semesters, um, you know, I'm able to just have, well, every, um, have fresh examples and illustrations right there for the classroom. So you actually seem to me bring uh, the best of both worlds. You're an academic. I mean, you're brilliant, if I may say so, uh, uh, as, I, uh, as I know you. But you're also a cl clinician. So you're able to bring mm -hmm. the practical, everyday experience that you experience or do into the classroom. How do students respond it, to that? It piques their curiosity. Because, um, you know, Aristotle said there are three things to be a good communicator. You need to have um, ethos, which means you have to have good content. You have to have pathos, which means you have to have good um, uh, enthusiasm. Um, but then you have to have kredos. They have to believe what you're saying is true. And so by having a real-life private practice that is current, it adds to the kredos that I bring to my classroom. Yeah. As we move toward the end of the, the podcast today, I want to transition one more time. Um, instead of the classroom, instead of preaching, I want to move toward the area of things that you, and I know you enjoy all this stuff, but other things that you may enjoy um, and maybe not enjoy. Uh, so I know you're not competitive or you don't like to be in a competitive situation. Mm -hmm. um, but I also know that you don't like to exercise, uh, even, though, <laughs> yes. e even though you do, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're right. Okay. I try to exercise every day for 30 minutes and down in our basement, we have a, I don't know, what is a rower and a glider and a, a bicycle and we have these exercise things. And so I have a little stopwatch and I will exercise for 30 minutes, not 31 minutes, not 30 minutes and 30 seconds, but when <laughs> that 30 minute clock, I am off that bike or I'm off that whatever. I have friends, uh, Mark, that will say, oh, I get so motivated. I'm so energized after exercise. 
I'm not, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, so it's my duty. I, I have to impose discipline to do that. But yep, I try to do it every day. So if you don't like exercise, why do you exercise? Because it, it seems uh, very like a painful situation for you. Health, because uh, people in the health world tell me that I need, and I say relatively fit, right, age and, and so on. Uh, you see me. Um, and I just, I, it's one of those things that I just do my duty. I really have time for two more questions. Um, and, it, and the second one's, or the first one's about health. Um, I know from talking to, with you that cancer has impacted your family in significant ways, as your mom and brother both have had various forms of cancer. How does the reality that cancer may be a part of your life impact you on a daily basis? Yeah, and, and I, I sometimes I get emotional on, on this one. My Sure. My mom had a cancer study done years ago, and it came back. She had an 83% chance of getting cancer. Really? And years later, she not only came down with cancer, but she's had three different types. You usually get one type that metastasizes, not her. She had three independent types. Uh, my brother got cancer at age 30 and died at age 36 from it. Um, so my sister and I sat down with a blank sheet of paper with my mom and some relatives, and we said, okay, let's do a family tree. And, and we wrote down everybody that, that people could that knew of. And, and Lori said, everybody who's ever gotten cancer, let's color them red. Mm. Everybody was red. Really? Everybody in my family gets cancer. So um, when I go to bed at night, I thank God that it did not happen to me today. When I wake up, I tell God I will do my best, you know, today, this is your day for your honor, your glory, because I might not have tomorrow. I'm committed to using my daily time for God until my cancer day comes, and then my record will be in the book, and for me, it'll be time for heaven. And I just have had to come to terms with that. I'm 59, and um, I need to use every day for his honor and his glory, because I don't know how many tomorrows I'll have. Oh, does this... Um... Or can this paralyze you at times if you let it? It could. Um, honestly, I I try not to think about it. I try to concentrate more on this is the day that I have in front of me, and because I might not have tomorrow, I need to I need to squeeze every drop out of the washcloth that's there for His honor, His glory. And if I don't have tomorrow, then I'm going to do what I can today. Yeah. And maybe that's one reason why I see your car parked in the parking lot <laughs> uh, very late in the afternoon, early evening as I leave. Uh, there's very few cars that remain when I when I leave, but I know yours is one of them. So you're really trying to get every ounce of everything that's, out of your day. That's you're very you're very uh, intuitive. Very, very astute. Yes. Well, uh, thank you for saying that, Michael. One last question. I, I try to ask this uh, to people when I do the podcast, and that is, what, are, what is the Lord teaching you right now as you study His Word and are living in a COVID-19 world? Obey authority with a good attitude. Now, there's not many words packed in that sentence, but there's a lot packed in that, that sentence because the, the government has done a lot of good things, and they've done a lot of things right. But in my humble little opinion— They've not done some things right. They've not made some right decisions. But it's not up for me to determine whether they're right or wrong. They're not asking my opinion. And so my role is to exercise deference and to do it, and not just do it, 
but to do it with the right attitude. So over here, my little hand, I've got a mask. When I leave this office and put the mask on, I'm going to do it with a good attitude. And I'm going to um, obey those in authority. And I'm going to help everyone that I can around me have the right spirit about doing it. That's a great lesson for all of us to learn. I know it's it's um, it can be a struggle for me. I, I I can obey the rules, but sometimes the attitude's not right. And uh, here, here, that's that's exactly what I was trying to communicate. Yes. Yeah, and so I thank you for uh, encouraging me in this, and I encourage all our listeners to um, obey well with a good attitude and or the right attitude, as Dr. Michael Furman has outlined. So. Mike, our time is gone. Um, this has been a delight to spend 30 minutes with you and to hear your story. Um, I'm thrilled that uh, we're colleagues together at Cedarville University, and I wish you the best uh, as you move forward, as you continue to teach and serve the Lord uh, as a psychologist, as a teacher, and as a preacher. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast, brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.